The Bible reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, and can be found on page 1630 of the Blue Church Bibles. Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Thanks, Sarah. Please keep your Bibles open to Luke 18 as we continue our series on the stories that Jesus told. Uh, We're on page 1630 if you've accidentally closed your Bibles. Uh, Will you please join me as I pray, as uh, as I ask for God's help to explain his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word so that we can know about your amazing grace to us. Please help me now to speak your word clearly tonight. We pray that you'll give us ears to hear and minds to understand what you have to say to us tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At times I find myself thinking Jesus may have been an Australian. And the reason I say that is because from time to time Jesus says things that ring true to the Australian psyche. And today's passage is one of those times where Jesus says in the second half of verse 14, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He sounds quite Australian, doesn't it? Take that first part of Jesus' statement. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Uh, that really resonates with our tall poppy syndrome where it's almost our national pastime to cut down those people who brag and who are bold and brash about who they are. In Australia, if you exalt yourself, we will humble you. But how about that second part of Jesus' statement? Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Well, that really resonates with how we love to support the underdog, where the little guy, the one we don't expect to win, is the one we're all cheering for. So isn't it interesting how the gospel has shaped Western society, especially how we think as Australians? And that that there's something in us that's pulled off by those who are proud and arrogant. But you know, the issue of pride and the issue of thinking that you're better than what you really are is actually a problem that we all struggle with in some form or another. You see, pride is one of the underlying reasons why we hurt each other, why we do the wrong thing, why we fight with each other. And I know that pride is something that I struggle with 
as it's been the reason of how I've hurt those around me by my actions and by my words. Pride is actually the sin that's actually beneath every other sin. Because at its core, pride is all about self-worship. And what makes pride so dangerous is that it can be so subtle and sometimes undetectable as it ruins our relationships, both with others and with God. Tonight we're going to see what spiritual humility is. Because when we cultivate spiritual humility, not only will it help us with life in the here and now, but we're able to experience the exaltation that really matters. And that's a personal living relationship with the God of the universe. Uh, Tonight we're going to see three things. Firstly, we're going to see an example of pride. And then we'll see, secondly, an example of humility. Then thirdly, how Jesus is the key to humility. So let's look at the passage. Well, in verse 9, we see the context of this parable, where Jesus is talking to a bunch of people who were, you see the words there, confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. So it's to this proud crowd that Jesus tells this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, But let me give you some background about these two guys. So the Pharisees, they were the Jewish religious leaders uh, back in the day. And as experts in the Old Testament law, they were model citizens. They always did the right thing, and they were well respected. You see, these Pharisees, they're the type of guys who got 99.95 in their ATAR. They're the type of guys that you would want your daughter to marry. Basically, Pharisees were your your classic good guys. Now, the tax collector, on the other hand, he was considered your classic bad guy. During the first century, Israel was occupied by the Romans, and the job of the tax collector was to collect money from their fellow countrymen. So because they did that, they were seen as traitors. But what was worse is that the tax collectors would actually grab a little bit extra and keep it for themselves. So not only are they traders, but they were thieves as well. And everyone hated tax collectors. So that's the kind of people that these two characters are in the parable. Well, let's have a closer look at them. And in particular, we're going to look at their posture and then their prayer. Firstly, notice the posture of the Pharisee. Verse 11 says this. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. What we see here is the Pharisee, he's standing tall, standing in a prominent place in the limelight as he prays. So in his posture, we're already getting a vibe of what he's like. But next, check out his prayer. And we see that He's not afraid to exalt himself. And firstly, he tells us what he doesn't do. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So this Pharisee, he's the type of guy who wouldn't have cheated on his tax return, 
He wouldn't overcharge his clients. He wouldn't flirt with someone who's not his spouse. But what makes his resume even more impressive is to look at what he has done. As he does, not only does he not do all the wrong things, but he does all the right things plus more. Have a look at verse 12 with me. He says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Now the law required that you fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. But this guy, he's really over the top to the point where he fasts twice a week. And the other thing is, the law also required you to give 10% of your income. But this guy's giving 10% from his gifts, from what he buys from the groceries, from what he buys on eBay. You see, this guy is going above and beyond what is required. But for all his accolades, this guy, he comes across as arrogant and stuck up. Don't you think? Well, why is that? Well, did you notice in verse 11, he, he thanks God that he's not like other people. He's making a horizontal comparison. He's looking left, he's looking right, and comparing himself to everyone else in order to show how good he is. But it's a classic mistake. Because everyone looks good next to the axe murderer. And if you're comparing yourself horizontally, you will always be able to find someone lower down on the moral ladder than you are. And because of that, you'll be tempted to exalt yourself. Horizontal comparisons are the death to humility. And the other thing about the Pharisee's prayer is that he actually doesn't ask God for anything. Now, it's like a, a, a person who has a tumor, he walks into the doctor's surgery, and for the whole time he tells the doctor how healthy he is without actually asking the doctor to check on him to see if there's anything wrong with him. A person like that doesn't think he needs help from anyone even though he does. And in the same way, the Pharisee, he doesn't think he needs any help from God, when in actual fact he does. But we now turn to the tax collector. And firstly, check out his posture. Verse 13 tells us that he's, he's standing at the back, not wanting to bring attention to himself, and he wouldn't even look up to heaven. And then we see in the text, as he prays, he beats his chest. And that shows the emotional distress and anguish about what he's about to pray about. So right from the outset, it's really clear that the tax collector's posture is so different to the Pharisee. But next, check out his prayer in verse 13. He prays this. Verse 13, he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you notice who he's comparing himself to? He compares himself upwards. Like a diamond ring against the back, black felt backdrop, the tax collector sees the black felt drop of his sin all the more clearly. 
when compared to the diamond ring of God's holiness. And when he does that, well, he has no other option but to humble himself before a holy God. But what's the result in the end? Well, Jesus says in verse 14 that it was the tax collector and not the Pharisee that went home exalted. So what do we learn from the parable? Well, firstly, when it comes to growing in humility, the first step is to change your access of comparison. There's no other way. If you're looking left and right, you may feel good about yourself, but you won't be humble. But if you look up at God, well, that's how you grow in humility. Now, if I ended the sermon right there, and all we did was compare ourselves to God, one of two things would happen. Firstly, we would either feel continuously guilty as we keep trying to meet God's standard and constantly fail. Or secondly, we would spiral in despair as we work out that we could never be good enough for God. Either way, our relationship with God won't have any joy and won't be fulfilling. It's at this point it's important to see that Jesus himself is the key that unlocks true humility. You see, it's the humility of Jesus that enables exaltation. It's his humility that makes exaltation possible. Now the Apostle Paul describes the coming of Jesus like this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 to 9. And notice how the words humility and exaltation are used. It says this, verse 7, Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now notice next how God responds here. Verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So how does Jesus' humility make exaltation possible? Is it because he's the great example for us? As we look at his example of humility and exaltation, that we may be inspired so that we can be humble in order to be exalted. Well, no. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is a great, the great example of humility. But the power of Jesus' death isn't in his example. But rather, the humility of Jesus... The death of Jesus is the very means by which we can be exalted. Now why do I say that? Well, there's a clue back in our passage in the parable, in verse 14 of chapter, of chapter 18 verse of Luke. Please have a look at verse 14 with me again. It says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Uh, the word justifies the legal term, which means to declare someone right in the courtroom of God. But you have to ask the, the question, how can Jesus say that to the tax collector? How can Jesus declare him right 
when the tax collector was so clearly wrong? Yeah, the tax collector humbled himself, but what does that have to do with being made right? But what Jesus is doing here is borrowing capital for something he's about to do at the end of the, at the, end of the book. And there's a little clue about it in our passage again, verse 13. Did you notice what the tax collector asks for? He asks God to have mercy on him, a sinner. Now the word mercy here, it's in the original, means to turn your anger away. To have your anger dealt with. But where does the anger go? If God's anger has been turned away from the tax collector, then who has it been turned towards? Well, the Bible's answer is Jesus. On the cross, Jesus dies for people like you and me. On the cross, Jesus was denied mercy so that when anyone asks for mercy, he can deliver it. And so the very reason that the tax collector could go home righteous before God was because Jesus would later go to the cross, condemned before God. Whoever humbles themselves before God will be exalted. And it's the same for you today. Can I ask you, have you humbled yourself before God? Now, you may be thinking, hey, Dale, I've been, I'm a pretty good person. I've lived a pretty good life. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't killed anyone. And I'm here at church, aren't I? I must be in God's good books. Can I say, that's exactly what the Pharisee thought. And if you're thinking that way, please realize that the Bible says that you can't be made right with God that way. Don't let the good things in your life cause the downfall in the next. Only realizing that we're sinners and asking God for His mercy and trusting Jesus to deliver it. That's the only way to get right with God. Now you might be here and you say, Hey, Doubt, you don't know what I've done. And I've done some horrible things. Well, if that's you tonight, please realize that even a con artist like the tax collector could be made righteous before God. And it's not because of, it's not because of what you do. It's because of what God has done and the mercy that he offers. So if you haven't experienced God's mercy yet, well, why not you do it today? Why not make the prayer of the tax collector your prayer? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Bible's promise that if you, is if you pray that prayer, if you humble yourself before God, He will exalt you. So don't, please don't waste, it, waste the opportunity. You can do it right now in your seat. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Humble yourself tonight so that you, like the tax collector, can go home justified before God. Now, for us who've already been justified before God, true humility is to be a hallmark in our lives now. 
And I reckon humility is going to be seen in two ways. Firstly, true humility will shape how we see ourselves. Experiencing God's mercy brings about a, a confident joy and an overflowing thankfulness for what Jesus has done for us. And it's because of that. Well, we're not to be a people who are unsure of ourselves or plagued with guilt or thinking, am I good enough for God? Well, yes, you're never going to be good enough. But Jesus' death was more than sufficient to deal with your sin. And it's when we get that, that's when you'll experience joyful humility. And the thing about joyful humility is that it will give us the security in our identity that's rock solid. You see, humility gives us a healthy clarity of how we're to see ourselves for who we really are. That our identity can be, is grounded in who we are in Christ. Because here's the thing, when we're not humble, we're actually insecure. And that's the reason why we boast. Uh, John Dixon, a pastor and a theologian uh, and a historian, in his book called Humilitas, he says this, he puts it like this. Often those who are boastful, protective and unwilling to listen are actually the most insecure. It's a compensation mechanism, a way of hiding true feelings of inadequacy. After all, if I can make others think highly of me, then perhaps I am great after all. By contrast, the humble person, the one who doesn't feel the need to big note themselves, is the truly secure one. Uh, so the logic's simple. If you have a robust view of yourself, you won't need others to reaffirm you. Or at least not as often. And so you'll be okay when you make mistakes. You'll be okay when someone gives you critical feedback. You'll be okay when you're told bad news. Because our humility will help keep our identity in check. Our humility will help us to be resilient in who we are. And so not only will humility prevent us going into pieces when those hard things happen. But our humility will help us learn and grow. Secondly, true humility will affect how we relate to others. There are times when we fall into the trap and say to ourselves, well, how bad is that person? At least I'm not as bad as that. Whenever we say that, we're being exactly like the Pharisee. We're comparing ourselves horizontally and we're becoming the people that's described in verse 9. Those who are confident in their own righteousness and looking down on everyone else. So for us not to fall into the trap, the key is for us to keep remembering that on this side of heaven, we're still sinners. We're still like the tax collector who needs God's mercy. We're so flawed that the only thing that can fix us is the Son of God dying for us. How can anyone who believes that be proud? You, you can't. That, that has to create humility. So it's because of this humility 
Well, we'll want to welcome other sinners. And it's my prayer that our church family here at Abbotsford Presbyterian will continue to be a place that welcomes all kinds of people and not just to be a holy huddle that keeps to itself. Jesus is called a friend to sinners. And that's what our church family is to be as well. A friend to sinners. So it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your backstory is. Whoever you are, there's a place for you here. We want to be a place that welcomes sinners. That shares the mercy that we've experienced to those who haven't experienced it yet. We've seen tonight from God's word that humility is the path to exaltation and that's made possible because of Jesus. Can I ask you tonight, how are you going in your humility? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great mercy in that even though we are sinners and deserve your judgment, we thank you for your great love that sent Jesus to incur your anger so that we can be made right with you. Heavenly Father, we confess when we get too focused on what we've done and not on what you've done. And we confess those times when our pride has got so swollen that it's affected how we've treated others. Heavenly Father, please grow us in our understanding of your mercy to us. And we pray that your mercy will continue to cultivate within us a joyful humility as we serve you in growing your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.